I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton. I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this. That's the plan. Hey, how are you doing, podcats? It's Adam Buxton here, reporting to you from a drizzly, windy, cold farm track out here in the Norfolk countryside in the middle of November 2022. Myself and my dog friend, Rosie. Rosie, would you like to say hello to the podcats? No, thank you. I'll just get on with this extremely unpleasant, cold, rainy walk, if that's okay with you. Fair enough. I'm going to cut to the chase with today's intro because it's not that nice out here, I have to be honest with you. And I will tell you a little bit about podcast number 194, which features a rambling conversation and some beautiful music from British musician Richard Dawson. Dawson Facts. Richard was born in 1981 in the northeast English city of Newcastle-upon-Tyne, where he grew up with his two siblings and his mum, an A&E paediatric nurse and later child protection officer, and his dad, a sometime packaging worker and running coach. Richard did well at school, but then rock and heavy metal came into his life, sometimes via one of his favourite 90s TV shows, Raw Power, also known as Noisy Mothers. Then, said Richard, in a 2019 Guardian interview with writer Jude Rogers. Once I got my guitar, I was just obsessed with songs. Everything else disappeared. After screwing up his A-levels, Richard's musical explorations continued and diversified, thanks to several years spent working in a Newcastle record shop and the knowledgeable colleagues that he met there. In 2011, after personal and musical crises and false starts in the noughties, Richard's first album proper, The Magic Bridge, was released. I'm a relative newcomer to Richard's music, which, if you haven't heard it, takes many forms and is spread across a variety of alter egos, bands, collaborations, etc. Oh, it's quite windy and rainy now. But the records that Richard has released under his own name have been described, to quote Wikipedia, as a deconstruction of folk music done in an English style, similar to what Captain Beefheart did with blues music. I've made you a brief musical montage to put you in the Richard Dawson zone, featuring moments from a few of my favourite songs from Richard's solo albums. I'll tell you the names of the tracks afterwards, and you'll also find them on a Spotify playlist. There's a link in the description. Here we go. My granddad had a recurring dream Of fighting as a young man In the muddy fields on the way to Rome He whacked the poor thing on the nose He sprained his wrist and bloodied his clothes Pool horse Poor horse, he what 
they did to the poor old horse. Snoring like a man of cloth, I aroused the eye of my fellow patrons, wiping their ladles in the Playing right now is a clip of the track Horse and Rider from Richard's new album, The Ruby Chord, which is released on the 18th of November of this year. That's 2022, in case you're listening in the future. And the opening track of The Ruby Chord is a 41-minute epic musical journey in itself called The Hermit. And a beautiful video has been made for the whole of that track by Bristolian director James Hankins. There is a link to the trailer in the description. Also, in that clip compilation I just played, you heard Grandad's Deathbed Hallucinations from The Magic Bridge, 2012, Poor Old Horse from The Glass Trunk, 2013, a bit of the vile stuff from Nothing Important, 2014, and there was also a bit of the track Jogging from the album 2020, released in 2019. My conversation with Richard was recorded last year in October 2021, and it came about because I'd seen Richard play at the Norwich Arts Centre a week before. Anyway, someone had told Richard that I had been there at the gig, and the next day he got in touch to say hello and told me that he was a fan of the Adam and Joe show back in the 90s. So I thought that seemed a good opportunity to invite him on the podcast. The following week, I happened to be doing a book show in Newcastle, not too far from where Richard lives. He came to see the show, and the next morning I cycled along the banks of the Tyne and I met Richard at the house he shares with his partner and frequent musical collaborator Sally Pilkington and their cat Trouble. Now, there's quite a lot of rain on my phone screen where I have my notes. I'm just going to give that a wipe. During the lockdowns, Sally and Richard started posting improvised instrumental tracks on a Bandcamp page under the name Bulbills. Sally and Richard are also members of the band Hen Ogled, along with Dawn Bothwell and another frequent Dawson collaborator, harpist Rodri Davis. There's links in the description to the Bulbills Bandcamp page, along with a note from Richard indicating a few of his favourite Bulbills tracks, because there's a lot of them. And there's a video for the Hen Ogled track about and featuring Trouble the Cat. My conversation with Richard 
according to my notes, here on my rainy phone screen, is the sound of a couple of middle-aged men getting to know each other. And it included a fair amount of bodily function chat, though I hope that we were careful not to get too explicit. We also talked about the musical discoveries that Richard made while working at that Newcastle record shop in his 20s and the artists that one might assume have been an influence on his music. Other topics included ambition and the value in not giving an audience what they want. And at around the 50-minute mark, Richard gave me a wonderful rendition of his a cappella song, The Arms Giver. Then, to finish, you will hear Richard play a magnificent version of his guitar instrumental Judas Iscariot from the 2014 LP Nothing Important. And I filmed a bit of Richard playing Judas Iscariot on my phone, and you can see it on my YouTube channel. And if you watch that, you will see in the foreground a fairly elaborate-looking recording setup, which, sadly, I was not using properly, so that's why the recording is a little more roomy than usual, but not off-puttingly so. I hope you'll agree. So let's get to the conversation at last, which began with me comparing notes with Richard about his Norwich show the week before. Back at the end with a bit more waffle, but right now with Richard Dawson. Here we go. show I'd seen since the beginning of the pandemic mm. and it's a relatively small space Norwich Arts Centre so I went in there and I was immediately reminded of oh yeah gigs I have to stand now for an hour and a half I haven't done that for a while yeah and also I'm small so mm. I have to find a vantage point where I can actually see what's going on and I want to be close because it's a night I love those small gigs I want to yeah. See the performer. That's funny because it was the night before in Leicester and I might have said it in Norwich if, if you're, is everyone all right? If, mm-hmm. if there's anyone small, please, you know, feel free to come to the front. And I just thought, like, ah, oh, you know what, maybe that could be, like, people wouldn't want to come to the front because it's like they're singled out now for being small. I mean, I'm small as well, so. I wouldn't have minded. I think I would have been fine with that. My friend Chris, who I went with, is quite tall. Yeah. So he went in and we kind of marched towards the centre of the room. And then I just thought, this is not sustainable for the yeah. Hobbit here. And I shuffled around to the side where I had a good view of you. But then I was closer to the speakers. And so at that point I thought, oh, wow, this is quite loud. And I had some earplugs with me, oh, yeah. but they're not proper gig earplugs. So it was a bit unsatisfactory. I kind of put them half in so they got rid of the m- most harsh frequencies which now at age 52 caused me actual pain yeah but I was looking at you and I was thinking he's not wearing in-ear monitors mm. and he's got this pretty loud 
and a, a lot of harsh frequencies that come out of your guitar and stuff. Mm. And I was thinking, how does that work for you? Yeah, it's funny because I think it's probably... Well, it wasn't that loud for me on stage, actually. Okay. Um, but it is a problem. Like, I've had a few instances where... You know, I did a gig once where I just filled in on guitar. Um, uh, I played guitar with a friend's band and at some big festival, and it was so loud. It got to about 10 minutes from the end of the set, and I ended up just lying down flat on the floor to try and get away from the noise. Didn't seem like an option. I could walk off stage. That kind of has its own meaning, you know. And, yeah, like you say, just, like, physically painful and I, I do get that you know I, I've been playing with Andrew Cheatham the uh, amazing drummer he plays loud sometimes and we're right next to each other so it's sort of after a two years break and my tinnitus is getting a little bit better suddenly it's right right back to where it was after three shows with with a drummer right so it's, it's scary but I have the earplugs I just forgot to wear them because I it's amazing how blase yeah you, you get Let's pivot. Oh, let's pivot. Do you like saying let's pivot? I've never tried it, but I'll I'll give it a whirl in a few weeks. Have you played in America much? No. Well, once you get to America, you're going to have to get used to saying let's pivot. No, thank you. Um, <laughs> I have been to America with Sally. We went a few years ago over like New Year's. Mm. We went for a, a road trip. Oh, nice. Where'd you go? Uh, we've started in New York and had a few days there. I got terrible food poisoning. Oh, mate. And You had a bad stomach when I saw you in Norwich. You know, it was bad. But were you exaggerating? I was using the tools, <laughs> <laughs> which the situation, it, it was bad. I wasn't, I didn't think I was going to be sick. Okay. There was a small chance I was going to be sick. Richard came on and at the beginning of the show said, I ate something that didn't agree with me today, so you might see me later on throwing up into a bucket, mm. which added quite a charge to the experience of watching you. No, it was fine. I had a, a dish. I won't name the restaurant, but it, I knew even as I was eating it that this was a bit dicey and uh, it was tasty, but it was almost too tasty. <laughs> you know, In the same way that rotting meat is tasty. Yeah. Have you seen that Thank video you. of um, Lady Gaga throwing up? No. There's one on YouTube. And yeah, she's just going off to the side and you can see her spewing. Oh. And then heading straight back on. She's a trooper. Well, that's, that's really amazing to keep singing as well because it really knocks your throat. Right. Gosh. Yeah, it was really flowing out of her in a tremendous fashion. Fantastic. So you're in New York on your road trip. You got a bit of food poisoning. Oh, yeah, and uh, Sally went and had a brilliant day in a sort of hallucinatory days in the place we're staying. We're getting very upset watching a documentary about Philip Seymour Hoffman, which seemed to be on loop, that kind of thing. I, sh I shouted for help at one point because it, was, it wasn't stopping. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah. I, I tried to call Sally at first because I was just in the days, please, you have to come and help me. And then I was sort of, Whoa. like, I think... I banged on the door and sort of like, I need medical help here. <laughs> oh, man. And then it's sort of passed. And that isn't funny, though. We're laughing, but that must have been terrifying. Quite wild. And it, I don't... I hope... Yeah, I hope there isn't too much for you. No, there's nothing too much. But there was a sound... 
but it was like a high pitched. It was sort of like, like a whoo, like a beam coming out of coming you, coming out of my body for about two minutes straight. <laughs> Not was, coming out of your mouth. Nope. <laughs> it was so, <laughs> It was almost. It felt like a voice of some other being. It yeah. was like my spirit scream. But I felt really good afterwards. <laughs> really Purged. Good. Yeah. Exorcised. Like, ding, I could see clearly and I didn't have any <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that is hardcore. Because my pivot question for you was going to be, I went and I looked at a AMA, Ask Me Anything, session that you did on Reddit. Oh, God. It's a large community, so there's dark corners of Reddit and then there's very enthusiastic, positive parts of Reddit. And you seem to get all the nice, enthusiastic ones. So you got some good interaction on there. One of the questions was from Cugs156. Uh, this was 2019 you did this AMA. What's your go-to junk food snack? <laughs> hmm. And uh, your answers chimed very much with my own. I'm trying to think what my go-to junk food snack would have been in 2018. Yeah, 19. Pre-pandemic. I cannot think what that would be. No. Spicy knickknacks. They've been overtaken in my book. Now I go for a simpler crisp space raider. Space Raider? That's like something out of the 70s. <laughs> what happens with the Space Raider? Space Raider's gorgeous. Underrated crisp. Or, hang on. I've got a, I've got a few. I've never there. heard of a Space Raider. Is that, is that a Space Raider's like the thing? crisp. No, it's like you used to get them for 5p when I was growing up. They're yeah. like a, not really a, they're not a potato crisp. They're a, like a maize snack. Okay. For me, it's wheat crunchies. No. Oh dear, what's your problem with wheat crunchies? It's strange and dull. <laughs> oh, like, that uh, hurts. Hey, no disrespect to the makers of wheat crunchies. Oh, me? We have to cover <laughs> the wheat crunchies. I don't like them. Nah. Nah. The worst thing about wheat crunchies, or best, depending on your point of view, mm. is the repeating wheat crunchy burps. I guess they're not that digestible. So That's you, a good thing, I think. It's like bonus content. Anything that gets something out is a plus. Yeah. You've also got on your list Dime Bar. Really? Yeah. Do you not like Dime Bar? No, I do like a Dime Bar, but not, I mean, that's... It's not your go-to snack. Maybe I was, like, this was towards the end of the questions and I was just... <laughs> just saying random. Yeah, that's, that's the first chocolate bar. No, it wouldn't be a Dime Bar. That's a... No. Dime bar is like a special occasion bar. Yeah. Because it's very hard and it's not a relaxing eat. No, it's high maintenance. You've got to deal with the stuff stuck in your teeth. Yeah. No good. Snickers. Snickers? You don't seem impressed. No, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with a Snickers. <laughs> but I mean, for someone who's turned his nose up at wheat crunchies. That was the moment. I felt like, you know... We're meeting here to do this interview, but well, I felt like we're getting along quite well. <laughs> Maybe I might even send you a text in a few weeks, like just a random text, but I felt it slip away just then. With the wheat crunchies? With the wheat crunchies yeah. followed by the Snickers. Oh. We've been getting um, 
Sally's sort of dragged me into the world of upmarket chocolate now. So we get this is your partner. That's right. Yeah, um, she's you know she's amazing, and but she's got a lot more class than I have. So she's it's green and blacks now. Okay, it's got to be like a certain percentage of something in something. I don't really understand. It annoys me that whole dark chocolate thing. The way that they've now decided it's a matter of fact that actually dark chocolate is good for you and it's good for your heart and if you want to live longer have some dark chocolate and my wife loves dark chocolate yeah so it's like good for you off you go and enjoy a dark i don't like dark chocolate i do remember seeing a story uh, on the bbc and it was the oldest woman i think in the world at the time she was a French woman. Mm. I remember this story. She was she maybe got to something like 112 or 118, mm-hmm. but they asked her what her secret was, and she said it was a small glass of port every evening and one square of dark chocolate. Sad shit, doesn't it? I mean, it, it's yeah. Like mixed in together. What about a big party bag of dark chocolate? See, that's more nice. <laughs> <ice cream. laughs> And three bottles of wine. <laughs> yeah. 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 One, how about, and then one ciggy. Just one ciggy, that's fine. Yeah. Well, Harry Dean Stanton lived a long time, didn't he? He was like 92. Yeah. And he was smoking whenever you see him. Right. I think maybe he had figured out if he stopped, he would be in trouble. Uh-huh. Yeah. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Of course, you say what you want. Yeah, good, thank you. <laughs> Do you like swearing? Yes. <laughs> Did you grow up in a sweary house? No, very much not. No, my, my parents were. Um, well, my mum grew up in Burden, which is a former mining town, and my dad was in the West End in like uh, Eldick. Uh, so they went. We grew up in Gosforth, which was like the promised land, and it's almost like you know this like first generation middle class is this idea I have where it's like, it looks like kind of middle class. But they, like, it was that thing of trying to knock the accent out of you as well. Like, don't speak properly, you know, no, no, why I? And so... Who is that, your mum and dad? Yeah, you know, and like, no swearing and not like super strict or anything, but just like, don't talk like that. You know, is it, say like, I'm just gunning out, you know, go, it's going, you know. So I think this idea of, you know, to get ahead in life, you would have to lose a bit of your Geordie accent. Mm-hmm. But there's a real commodity to having your own accent, isn't it? Especially the Geordie one is very beloved. And you sing, obviously, with your own accent. There's never any question that you don't try on different voices, do you? I think that there's certain songs you, you sort of edge... I'm not going to veer too far away, but there's certain ones where I might pronounce my words a bit better. Mm-hmm. Little things you might just edge, you know, pronouncing an ing rather than an in. But I, I mean, I can feel my voice shifting all the time in conversation anyway, from more Geordie to more, more like a, not Queen's English, but uh, um, something like that. And I, yeah, I can realise I can often like mirror people. I've got a bit of an issue in Newcastle because I have a good pal, Ben. Mm. I've got several good pals, Ben, but uh, this particular Ben I worked with in Windows, a quite sort of amazing old record shop. 
That was my first job. It was mm. like an upstairs, downstairs, very old fashioned, hilarious place. How old were you when you got there? Uh, I was like 20, and I was really all over the shop. Like, it was amazing. I got this job. It was kind of through a recommendation of a pal to the manager. Yeah. I was very lucky. And it was a wild place. Like, you wouldn't believe it. The people who were working there, like one, one bloke um, who was a massive Elvis fan from. Uh, Bladen, which is just close to where we are now, but he spoke with an American accent. Mm-hmm. Like, but like an idea, you know, it was, hey there, how are you doing? Yeah. You know, answer, answer the phone, like, uh, you're through to the easy listening section. What can I do for you, madam? All that kind of stuff. And this was like 24 hours a day. Mm. And he was just one of many characters. Anyway, Ben, who I worked with as a is from Sunderland and we spent quite a lot of time together and I picked up his accent and it's stuck. So now I've got a bit of Sunderland. What's the Sunderland? It's stuff? it's hard to describe. It's close to Geordie, but it's a bit sort of softer. You're starting to get... Lauren Laverne is Sunderland, isn't That's she? That's right, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a bit rounder, I guess. So I, all the time now in Newcastle, people, when you get chatting to someone new, always like, are you from Sunderland? No, I am not from Sutherland. You know about the sort of rivalry and all that stuff. Um, I I kind of pick up on bits of it from listening to Atletico Mints, Bob Mortimer's podcast, where he um, teases his mate, Andy Dawson, who is, I think, from Sunderland. Yeah. So tell me about the record shop, Richard. You're 20, 21? Yeah, I had messed up my G... No, GCSEs were starting to go a bit badly. Messed up my A-levels. Because you were listening to too much music? Well, yeah. Drinking too much booze? uh, I didn't really get into drinking until I was about 18. All I wanted to do was make songs. And that's when school went down when I was about 13, 14. Because I was pretty, like, a bit of a swat, you know. But then, you know, I'm just in lessons, so just writing lyrics and stuff. I just, oh, that's really? what I wanted to do. So were your parents sitting you down and saying, enough with the music? I guess so, yeah. Maybe, I don't, I don't know, I, I don't want to speak for them, but mm. probably didn't really know how much I was sort of veering off course, you know. So, yeah, I had a teacher, Mr. Connolly, who was the head of sixth form. Mm-hmm. He put in a phone call and managed to get us on this degree course at Newcastle College. Jazz, popular and commercial music mm. was the name of the degree. Good one. <laughs> commercial music. <laughs> <laughs> and I did that for a month and a half. And then that was not working, obviously. But I stayed long enough to keep my £1,000 loan from the student loan company which I'm still paying off to this day <laughs> uh, and then I had a year where I just we had a local video shop called Showstopper Video on the high street there was Blockbuster Global and Showstopper was the one because it was just the mad you know it was a, had a massive world cinema section so I just watched everything they had and that was Kind of an amazing, yeah, it was obviously awful as well, like I wasn't in a good place, but maybe watched like three or four films a day and was just a general 
lay about. Um, Still living at home at this point. Yeah. So I think my parents were probably pretty... Well, who knows, but they can't have been uh, unconcerned. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then I got this job through recommendation by Pal to the manager of Windows. And then it was just like, that was kind of the beginning of drinking. Because I had a wage then suddenly, so you go to the pub after work and just going out most nights and then trying to do your job the next day. was, And I kind of maintained that throughout my 20s. Really. Yeah. Pretty wild. And were you someone who was delighted by how free alcohol made you feel? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, the, the, yeah, those first... You don't think of it like this at the time. Yeah. But those first couple of drinks, you just fly in. I think uh, John Duran calls it the hour of power. <laughs> right. And uh, I totally know it, because I'm feeling about one and a half pints of Guinness in, where it's just like, I am... St- being really funny right now yeah and I, I don't think that's just a perception thing i think you do just get freer don't you and you yeah. just it flows a bit more but obviously that deteriorates from about two pints onwards but you know when you're younger you don't really realize that yeah you just wonder why why do i feel I wake up and i think i'm a real dickhead <laughs> oh could it be Oh, hmm. and you know it's a it's a bit of a spiral that one, isn't it? You, yeah, because you you're always chasing that the hour of power. Yeah, that feeling of when it goes right, and then you real, and then your hit rate just nosedives. And whereas it used to, it used to feel like oh, every night I used to go out, I had a good time, and it just happens less and less now. Why is that? Yeah, I think as well there was much less kind of education about yeah. mental health back then and it was mental health and physical health it didn't even occur to me that it was bad for my physical health yeah. I mean really I didn't think about it yeah so it's kind of yeah it's wild looking back I mean I had a it was a it was kind of university for me mm. working in that shop and I, w- I was there for four years because I worked with an amazing guy called Robert who was a huge huge knowledge of music very into a lot of jazz and experimental musics and so that was where I sort of discovered Sun Ra and he had, you know, it was the only place in Newcastle where there was like a whole rack of 20, 30 Sun Ra albums, which is life-changing stuff. But, you know, you also got all the great jazz people there and John Coltrane. It's got to blow your mind at 20, just, mm. you know, hearing Sunship, the dearly beloved of Sunship, just, just trying, not really understanding it all but like it's just such a leap from just the metal that we listen to which I still love but, like, um, but there was also like a whole kind of international section so amazing Indian music and African music and then this avant-garde section which was like frowned on by all of the sh- rest of the shop so those kind of things were all just sitting on the shelves in this incredible mad shop it really was a mad shop like a very old-fashioned you had to wear shirts and ties and you know we had there i worked with a beautiful old man david routledge very very nice man but he was deaf as a post he's probably about 80 79 80 when i worked with him Mm. and the customers would come up and ask him for uh, help and he would take him out to whatever they'd ask for but he was always farting 
but he had no idea. It's like a dog, like it's all good, you know. So he's leading them away to the jazz section. Yeah. So there's, <laughs> and the customers looking at us for like, what? What, what do we do with Mister Fox? What's what's this? Just oh no, give him give him a thumbs up. Just go with it. That wasn't all the time, but he had a real period of like. Uh, Johnny Fartpants. Just really uh, permanent flatulence. I think I'm getting into that period in my life now as well. You get relaxed, don't you? Because I, I have a bit of a indigestion. Mm-hmm. So I burp quite a lot under my breath, like a yeah. sort of thing. And I just forget that I'm out in public. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm so used now we live out here, it's very quiet out here relatively. You just sort of maybe get a look from somebody on the train sitting across from you the train is dangerous as well because I have my headphones on oh yeah so a couple of times I've just farted and thought oh, yeah I'm just going to have a fart and also after I got COVID my smell went so I just thought yeah fine I'll just fart now all the time because I'm no longer terrified of the, uh, <laughs> of the odour <laughs> I initially thought you, like your ability to produce smell went, but I think that's because, I don't know, I think my brain has been tainted by living with trouble, because she produces a smell. Trouble is your cat. Yeah, trouble is, trouble is a cat, but she, she produces a smell when she's a bit miffed uh-huh. from her face. Really? Yeah, it's like a weird, musky, strange, annoyance perfume. I didn't know cats did that. I've never had a cat that's done that before. Wow. Is it her breath? No, her breath is a different smell. Huh. It's more of a fishy smell. Really? Or a sort of turkey or chicken smell, depending on what Has she not been just snuffling turkey and chicken? And then you come and you see her after a big turkey (laughs) session. (laughs) Producing a curious odour from your face. The frustration odour is separate from the breath. And she does it specifically if you like shift her when she's comfortable she'll yeah, sort yeah. of she'll do a little face part <laughs> I wish I had that ability sure we're halfway through the podcast I think it's going really great the conversation's flowing like it would between a geezer and his mate alright mate hello geezer I'm pleased to see you Ooh, there's so much chemistry it's like a science lab of talking I'm interested in what you said. Thank you. There's fun chat and there's deep chat. It's like Chris Evans is meeting Stephen Hawking. You've got kids, right? No. Oh, you don't. Okay, you did the song at the show I saw in Norwich about dropping your daughter off (laughs) at uh, uni. Yeah. And it was just at that time in September where a lot of people had been doing exactly that. I'd just done that dropped my son off at uh, Sussex University. Oh, wow, for the first time? Yeah. Wow, how was that? It was good, actually. I'd been really frightened of it because I'm a bit of a weed bag when it comes to emotional matters. And thinking about all that stuff, which I didn't want to think about, especially after a year and a half of COVID shite. Sure. But actually, it was fine. And we all went together. So... My two younger children were happy to get a day off school and we all drove down and dropped him off. And it was really good that we were all there because we all kind of um, 
balanced each other out. If it had just been maybe me and my wife, it might have been a bit more heavy emotionally and tearful. Mm. But because the other two kids were there, we were keeping it light a little bit. Yeah. You know. So when was that? You dropped them off just a few weeks ago? Yeah. Mid-September. How's he been doing since? He's good. Yeah. How have you, uh, you found it since? Fine. <laughs> <laughs> good. Really good. Fine, good. It's been different for me because I've been out doing shows. Yeah. So I was able to switch to a different routine and I was distracted in a nice way by thinking about all that. I think my wife's been okay. You know, she works from home, so... Yeah. She's still busy. She's got lots to do. So she's not sitting around pining too badly. We speak to him a lot and um, he sounds fine. So it's all been quite positive so far. Mm. It does. You feel like very easy comp- company, Adam, and I wonder if that's whether we might be on a similar level of general anxiety. Uh-huh. I did think that when I heard a couple of interviews you gave and a couple of, there was just little clues that I picked <laughs> up on and I thought, yeah. yes, okay. Because listening to your music, I had a totally different, image of you, a totally different expectation of what you were like as a person, which was immediately dispelled when I saw you live and you started talking to the audience and it was much softer and more direct and more friendly. That's good. Yeah, I sort of want to go against like, I don't know what the idea of a musician is, but I have a certain idea about like certain tropes Mm -hmm. of particularly singer-songwriters. Um, it'd be good to avoid them. And like a certain preciousness, which uh, it's good to try and dispel, even if it's it's actually true. If I can provide a facade, which is welcoming. <laughs> that's... No, it's good. You form a, a connection with the audience very quickly and your banter, if we can call it that, between songs. Bants. Bants. Patter. Patter is better, isn't it, in the musical context. But it's it's not cringy, which sometimes a chatty musician doing a lot of intersong patter can be. I've certainly been to gigs where you are thinking, we get it, you love talking, but play another one of those songs. And you had it right, though. There was no point at which I was thinking, all right, and how about a song now? That's good to hear, because I, I really had a good gig the night before, and I was quite focused and I, I drifted in the Norwich show, the one you used to tour. So I was, when I'd heard that you were there, I was sort of like, oh, gold. Like, Where like, were you drifting? Because you said at one point you started playing a song that was seemed to be an instrumental. Oh, yeah. Very lovely finger-picking. You know, yeah, what happened there was I, I was going to play one called Queen's Head, which is probably the trickiest one, one of the trickiest ones to do. And I just reached a point of feeling like, I'm a bit tired. Mm. And I, I struggled with it the night before, and I just thought, I'll just play one. I, I took a bit of a easier route, and I knew as soon as I started it was the wrong direction and the wrong reason. So I think that's why I think about that show, and I think about that little period, and I think I've followed up with a song. I was just trying to get the vehicle under control and not really in it like how I'd been for the first 40 minutes. Finished well, but it was just that little ten or fifteen minute period was loose, and I could feel the, my banter 
was, I don't know, I was wittering and the pacing was all off. And it didn't feel like it. That's good. It was good. It was all compelling. And the piece that you abandoned was great. I just hit the wrong notes and uh, it was fine. Usually I would continue, but it felt actually like it was quite good to stop. Like I like to see that kind of thing in a show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminds you that you're watching something that isn't too slick. Well, I'm not sure that would be my (laughs) Uh, But, you know, on that same uh, thought, you talk about playing wrong notes, but you seem to incorporate a lot of dissonance and strange atonalities into a lot of what you do to the extent that you could probably bury a few bum notes in there oh, and, yeah. and make I, it look deliberate. I think what happened there was just I wasn't really very focused in the moment because I was thinking about the other song I probably should have played and my reasons for not doing it were kind of cowardice. Okay. And uh, so I wasn't focused enough to roll with punches. When you say cowardice, you're giving into the impulse to please the audience? Uh, no, uh, not in that instance, although that's a terrible feeling. It does, yeah, try to, try to avoid that for sure but you know sometimes when maybe you don't feel it's going your way you might like pull out the big guns and it's just oh it's horrible but it's so nice when you have a, like a good situation and the audience are there with you and you can just focus really and do what you should do yeah I don't know some people ask for certain songs and I always think it's quite nice to sort of go any requests people always say the same one or two jogging Oh, not jogging. No, I usually go the bile stuff. Okay. And uh, poor old horses and all. Right. It's really nice just to go like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Just refuse. A couple of boring music questions for you. Oh, yeah. What are the ingredients in your musical stew? As well as some of the names that you've already mentioned, I speculated or was interested to know the extent to which you cared about people like Robert Wyatt. Oh, yeah. So I didn't really know anything about Robert White until people... Is that a name that gets chucked at you fairly often? Yeah. Right. And I think it's probably just because he's got a higher register of voice and yeah, he sings in an accent, but I can't understand it, but it wasn't a big influence. Right. I have since listened to him and now really love it. And it was so... I didn't quite get there with it until I heard Mark Riley playing him covering... At last I am free... Wow, and then obviously went from there to like Sleep, which is a beautiful album. Uh, That's the one he did with Eno, isn't it? Is it? I don't know know anything about him. It's just people uh, told me, uh, oh yeah, you must like Robert Wyatt. Must I? (laughs) I better check him out though, find out what I need to avoid. It's that slightly reductive impulse that a lot of people like me, I suppose, have. When you listen to a lot of music, you sort of can't help trying to organise it and sure. fit it into, oh, OK, that comes from there, and that's probably... I'm going to put that in that section. Yeah, I don't... I never... Especially with your stuff, which is very hard to figure out. For a music nerd, it's a sort of detective challenge. What, <laughs> what's going on here? Where's he coming from? I can hear various bits and bobs. Like everything gets sort of regurgitated in some form. The certain elements are maybe like drawn from more English folk, which again I didn't know anything about really until people started telling me, "Oh, you must like folk music." Oh, no, pentangle or whatever. 
everything. Yeah, you know, I better find out about that then. Yeah. I came from more like, well, metal first and then mm. into like jazz and experimental sort of like lots of noise music and then onto like a lot of Indian music and Cavalli as well and that's what Fatah Ali Khan and all those guys and yes I'll put links to some of this stuff in the description oh, yeah, of this good. podcast because I was looking at some of it and I hadn't heard it before and it's great good. Henry McCoby oh yeah so that was the CD I got in uh, Windows the record shop where I first worked yeah and it was like two ninety nine in the sale because it's got a really crappy looking cover. It's an amazing cover. It's just like being done on, uh, I guess, the whatever it was, paint. Mm-hmm. And this album is just so beautiful. His guitar playing is like amazing, really forceful. I remember reading the liner notes. He's a Kenyan postman who entertains the locals at this bar in, in the town where he lives like most nights you could go there now and find him wow okay that's what the notes said anyway and it was just recorded all in one day in a hotel room that was like a key CD for me but I don't think it's like a widely known thing I don't think he's a celebrated particularly celebrated I'd never musician. heard of him no he's on Spotify oh is he yeah great and um, it's beautiful yeah. Instantly likeable and tuneful. Yeah. Take me home and kiss me there. Oh. Have you heard that one? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, Henry? Are you talking about home or somewhere else? Yeah, a bit naughty. Nev Clay you talk about? Oh, Nev Clay is a beautiful, beautiful man who lives in uh, Newcastle. He's a, like a real, really loved by loads of people here. It's I played a gig with Nev when I was 15 and I must have been really shit but he was so generous and encouraging and nice and he's always been like that just very supportive super intelligent guy massive reader very gentle and then on top of it he's the best songwriter I've ever heard absolutely amazing melodies and words and Mm. Yeah, and you know, he's just sort of not ambitious in the way of he's very ambitious with his music, but I don't think he's so ambitious to like, you know, break through. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, yeah, he's a really special person. How's your ambition? Not, re- yeah, I'm, I'm very ambitious with the records, but yeah, I feel a bit at odds sometimes with certain aspects of it because I don't really, particularly now. Like, I feel a bit embarrassed, you know. I don't need to get up in front of people these days like I I used to, I think, for validation. But I don't have the kind of ambition I see some other (laughs) musicians have. Or maybe I've got no desire to be famous or anything like that. That seems like a really mad thing to wish for. Mm -hmm. I I don't get recognised a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm not very well known. But uh, now and again, it's a nice amount, you know, it's like once a month, once every two months maybe, even. But, you know, I want to keep pushing the music and try and get to new places with that. So, yeah, both big yes and big no Mm. to the ambition. How about you? I wondered whether you were... Because, you know, I I, I said in my email to you, zero cool, that I was a big fan of Adam and Joe's show. Like, it was really important show because it coincided with uh, when I got my telly in my room for the first time right which is that's a big time yeah it's a big deal so it was all of those channel 4 programs suddenly 
which we never had Channel 4 on downstairs yeah so you've got your show and then like Euro Trash yes Bonsai you mentioned Bonsai <laughs> yes. that's right uh, god what else what else was on Spaced and Spaced yeah uh, and all of that the Inucci and Chris Morris's stuff Good earlier God. on. Well, I watched that. So that was before the day. The day was before I got the telly. I remember watching that with my mum, mm. and it was pretty like oh, it was mind blowing stuff. Those first few episodes of the day, the day, bomb dogs, bomb dogs, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but even my mum was like, "This is really impressive." I don't think she liked it, but she was really like impressed. But anything. Channel 4 was, would have been a bit too much of a uh, leap, I think, for the living room. Yeah. How do we get into that? Oh, yeah, so... Ambition. Because the aesthetic of Adam and Joe is so homemade, mm. and then you went to, like, radio after that, I guess? Yes, we did. We failed to commit to a transition to something more mainstream. Not for want of trying, I should point out. Yeah. Because I suppose there's a temptation to go back and rewrite history somewhat as us going no screw you we're not going to do your boring mainstream shit <laughs> we're going to keep it real and and stick to our principles but no we desperately tried to do the boring mainstream shit and uh yeah. didn't it just didn't work out i mean i say desperately we we certainly tried and there was certainly part of us that aspired to some kind of mainstream success because you know we were enthralled by all this kind of culture that we consumed but then the other half of us wanted to take the piss out of it so it was a bit of a tussle internal tussle and it was quite painful trying to figure out which way we were going to go and um, Mm. I only feel in the last few years actually that I've finally shed that maybe since I've been doing the podcast perhaps it's weird I'm very conflicted about the idea of ambition because I can see the value in taking what you do seriously and wanting it to connect with as many people as possible. On the other hand, it comes along with so much unhelpful, unwanted crap. I think as well, it's maybe more so in like the music world, is that if you sort of give an inch, Mm -hmm. you never get it back. You know, even if it's some little project you do or something that you're not quite into... You say yes to something like, to me, it's like a, I don't want to be up my own arse about it or anything, but it feels like a sacred or spiritual or something like this. It's like, it's all I am. So the thought that I might do something for like professional reasons when it might harm the music would, would be, I, I mean, I respect it in other people, but for me personally, it would be a disaster, I think. I'm never going to be that popular because of the way it sounds and I can't sing in tune that well. You know, I can sing in tune reasonably, but it's not a voice that many people are going to want to listen to. You say that, but culture always finds a way to incorporate this stuff. So your music could, in the right hands, easily soundtrack a car commercial. (laughs) or you know what I mean? Like, everything that you think could never be incorporated into mainstream culture has been at some point or Mm. could be. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't want to suggest either that it's like something that's so edgy. It's and it's because like, I I don't think it is. I think it's quite accessible. Yeah. Um, but it's accessible. Maybe musically, it might be a bit off-putting at times. But I think if you approach it more from a poetry point of view, then it's like because po- most poetry is mad. Mm. People just accept that. Like I've just bought a book of mad poetry, like a whole book of it. Like it's a normal thing, whereas anything like that in a song is, oh my god, there's no chorus. What's happening? It's got a strange rhythm. Oh my god, it's a strange thing that we have these expectations of music that mm. it's meant to do a certain thing. Yes. Whereas we don't have that with, I guess we probably do have it with more and more things, but certainly not poetry or novels. Uh huh. And people are, I think, always intrigued by the. It's not blankness exactly, but there's a, um, <laughs> your lyrics are direct and they often feel as if they're not doing the job that most people expect song lyrics to do, i.e. to be somewhat poetic. Not to say that your lyrics are not ever poetic. Tread very carefully. I'm really treading carefully here. But you, you know what I'm talking about. You're saying sentences that kind of fit with the actual notes that you're playing on the guitar. But if another songwriter was... St- trying to express something similar, they would trim out a few words or they would express it in a different way that wasn't quite so conversational or something like mm. that. Sometimes it's as if you're reading someone's bio on Facebook or something. Yeah. You know. Um, that's basically, that's the secret. Right <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny with the, like, shoving too many syllables in. Yeah. Because what it has a nice effect of is it just provides, like, a natural variation on melodies. Uh, sometimes I can hear some songs or something and they just repeat the same melodies which is cool like repetition is the basis of a lot of music and it's good but with little variation here and there it just it won't kill the repetition but it'll just it's just a little oh a little motif here and so when you maybe do have the right word but it it's going to mean that instead of landing on the note you're going to instead of singing you know like bird it's going to be like Hooping swan, it's like a da da da. And if you have those all over and you're always following what the word wants to do and you don't get too like attached to the melody, because when you've been working on these melodies, you you love them. And it's really hard sometimes to, to go with those words which are going to bend it out of shape. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that's why it's important that they don't, you know, the first time you might hear something, probably it would tend to, to not have so many jarring or words stuffed in it hopefully it'll just be a bit straighter but once you've heard it once that melody you're going to hear that melody every time so you can afford to keep stretching it out and it provides a bit of interest and also it's kind of reflective of like what happens with our days you know our days are pretty much the same shape but they get all bent out of shape and you know I'm going to have to put a coat on, Adam. I'm getting quite cold. Okay, yeah. Um, Richard, how do you feel about playing something? Oh, yeah, fine. Maybe I might sing a one a cappella. I could always try and play that song. Yeah, maybe I'll try this a cappella, this song. Uh, I made it for a film about Hexham Jail. Mm-hmm which is sort of five songs, each from the point of view of somebody who would have spent time in the Hexham Old Jail, which was like the first purpose-built 
jail in England. Um, so this one is from the point of view of a mother whose lad went off to war maybe uh, a few years before and she thinks she sees him around the town because prisoners then from the jail would have been let out to beg or to work to try and earn money to pay off their debt right because you got a debt whether you were found innocent or not so loads of innocent people would just languish in jail because they had no way to earn money so this song's from the point of view of this lady who goes looking for a son. Is it strange if I just stand here and sing it? No. Okay. I might not look at you, but it's fine. Uh, There's a fat laddie goes Through the market begging sucker With a pair of grey lad wings Etched into a saucer He reminds me of my own boy Lost in Flodden's glow From the bowing legs to the mole That sits atop his nose Daybreak finds me in my pots Coaxing out the hidden flavour of the perch I lifted clear from the evening river. I mend the collar and the cuffs of an empty woollen coat in the pocket. Place a mitten from a piebald ferret own Half a bar of tallow soap Gains me entry to the courtyard Where accused men ply their trade Or waste away the day Hungrily I scan the faces only to be found by the tired eyes of an old man stricken on the ground. Have you seen a fair-haired lad with a mole atop his nose? Ah, if I am not mistook, the very same went free this morning. How my heart goes leaping, like a hair-at cloudburst, upon the revelation to rock. He is returning. Hold my hand and sit you up. Drink a good long draught from my cup. Tip a clump of pandemon and wrap this coat around your shoulder. Take this jar of pickled herring. They'll hear your belly groan And light this faggot when you arise To thaw your icy bones
corporals. It's not the seven corporal acts or the fear of purgatory which behests me to maintain a generous refrain. I know that if my boy were in trouble and I were far away, I'd wish there was somebody there to help him. To sing this song is ever so hard. I wish that I could sing it better. Now we've nearly reached the end. We can start to listen again. Hey. Wobbles, wobbles. That was great, man. I'm going to clap. What do you think? Maybe just one big clap. That sounds sarcastic. <laughs> it sounds like a really slow that hand really clap. Well, I enjoyed that. You, when we, me and uh, Sally were in Finland, yeah. we spent a bit of time in Finland before, before lockdown. And, uh, we went to see a band that were former members of Circle. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what the band's called, but we're so it's in a really like cool club, and uh, the band were great. And at the end of the set, this is like first night in Finland, so we're really like wow, wow, just everything is new. But when the audience clapped, it's like a normal clap, but everybody fell into this together, oh. and it went on for very gentle for. Two, three minutes, just like this, all together, and it was like. That makes sense, though. I think that's better than the alternative. Yeah. Because the alternative is kind of an endurance test, somehow. You know, like everyone's like, "Oh God, how long do I have to clap for?" You know, everyone's like, "There you go, that's fine, isn't it?" And then there's always a couple of people who go, "No, I'm going to clap longer." I'm going to be the one that's clapping right at the end. The last clapper. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if you're doing something together, more rhythmical, you can keep that going for quite some time. I used to love the, when I was more of a regular gig goer in my teens and 20s, I loved the encore stomp. Mm. You know, get to that. Yeah, and then it would all break up and become random, yeah. and then it would—I couldn't wait till it started again. Yeah. Because I think maybe, you know, I don't like football and things like that, but I envy in football fans that communal, very intense communal experience and togetherness I can totally get that yeah but I don't really have that in my life in other areas I am a football fan but I don't I don't feel often that I'm a fan of the same things that lots of the other football fans are a fan of Mm -hmm. and I can't get to that point of leaping around and shouting and stuff do you do the chanting No, no no I don't think I'm a very good football fan I think it's I like things like the slow motion photography and when uh, 
I remember a taxi driver being enraged with me when he asked me who was the best ever Newcastle United player. The standard answers are Peter Beardsley, Alan Shearer, maybe. That's what I would have gone for. Yeah. Um, but I said, well, he's probably not the best ever, but he's my favourite, and it's Jonas Gutierrez. So to me, he's the best because he was just all heart. And there was a moment where... Is this okay we're talking about football? No, it's good. Foot, I'm football excited. Football on your I'm thinking, this is going to finally make me look a bit more tough. <laughs> uh, Jonas Gutierrez was a beautiful guy who used to play for the club a little few years ago. Mm. He wasn't like super... He's obviously talented to get to that level, but he's not like a top-level skill player. He had some skill. I don't want to... No, you don't want to put Gutierrez down. I mean, you know, the man's got an amazing skill set. <laughs> yeah, precisely. He's got a good, he's got a good skill set. Yeah. He beat a man, I think it was against West Brom, mm. uh, managed by Roy Hodgson. Hodgie, Hodjo. So he beat the man on the wing because the guy pulled up with a hamstring injury and... Gutierrez was through on goal, but he saw he'd beaten him through him getting an injury, so he stopped mm. and he just gently knocked the ball out of play. Oh. Roy Hodgson steps on the pitch, shakes his hand. Yes. It was to me that was the highlight of that season. To other football fans, I don't it wasn't a memorable moment, yeah. but I, I really thought. Jonas Gutierrez sort of embodied to me like something that's disappeared in, in sport. That's the kind of stuff I get excited about, and I just can't get behind all these like preening, rolling around, right? Injured. Anyway, we don't need to talk about football. Anymore. <laughs> That's fine. Can I induce you to do some guitar magic? Yeah, my, look, my fingers are tired, yes. uh, cold rather, not tired. This is another thing you were saying in your Norwich gig was that your hands hurt. Oh, it was just after that song I did because that one's really, uh, bar chords all the way and it's quite mad shapes. Right. And it's just hard work, that one. I'm sure. But, you know, it's a good bit, isn't it? Just sort of, again, like undercutting the rock show. Yeah, yeah. To be like, I haven't got anything to say. I'm just going to rest my hand for a minute. No, you don't hear too many people on stage saying, oh, my fingers are really cramping up. So. <laughs> I mean, you got Lennon saying, I've got blisters on my fingers, but oh, he yeah. screams it out in a fairly rock and roll way. So I'll try this instead.
That's hard work. I've got the house is just so cold. I'm sure that's the, hard work. What's the name of that? Judas Iscariot. The most misunderstood of the 12. Wait, this is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. I love browsing your videos and pics, and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members area and spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com slash Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code BUXTON to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace. Yes. Continue. I got blisters on my fingers and rainy jeans. Hey, welcome back, podcats. That was Richard Dawson playing and chatting to me in his home outside Newcastle last year in October 2021. And I loved it. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. And I've been in touch with Richard off and on via email since then. And I got to see him last weekend in London up at the Rio Cinema in Dalston where there was a screening of the film, video, whatever you want to call it, that has been made for The Hermit, the first track on Richard's new LP, The Ruby Chord. The only problem with that night, which I didn't realise until the next morning, was that I had conducted the onstage Q&A after the screening with Richard and with James, the director, and used the wrong last name for James throughout the Q&A. His name is James Hankins. And for some reason, nerves, middle age, maybe I was thinking about South Park or something. Anyway, I introduced him to the audience at the Rio as James Hankey instead of James Hankins. James Hankey. Oh, and I didn't realise until the next morning when I was looking up some of the other videos that James had made, including one for a track called Property by Tim Heidecker. And then I realised, and I was Googling James Hankey. I didn't get any hits, obviously. And then I realised it was James Hankins, and it was like, oh, no. And it's one of those things where no one had said anything the previous night either because they were too polite or because they thought I was trying to be funny or take the piss or I don't know what. I know there's worse things in the world 
and I hope James Hankins is not angry with me. I did email him. Haven't heard back yet. If you're listening, James, I'm very sorry. But it's it still makes me sad, that kind of thing. Getting people's names wrong in front of an audience. I think they were filming it too. But still, it was a good event. So yes, in the description of today's podcast, you've got all sorts of links, which really are just the tip of the iceberg for the world of Richard Dawson. There's many, many projects to explore. And if you've never seen Richard play live, I encourage you to do so. He's an amazing performer and quite unique in many ways. Now, I don't know if you can hear, but it's raining properly now. It's really not very nice out here. Rosie, are you okay? She was looking a bit annoyed and sodden. We're going to be back soon, sweet girl. Ten minutes and you'll be back in front of the fire with your mum. Thank you very much indeed to Seamus Murphy Mitchell for his always invaluable production support. Thanks to Ben Tullow. He did a lot of the conversation editing on this episode. Much appreciated, Ben. Thanks to Helen Green. She's responsible for the beautiful drawing of my amazing face for this podcast. Thanks to everybody at Acast. And thanks most especially to you for listening right to the end once again. Much appreciated. Do you want a rainy hug? Come on. Yeah, let's go and get dry. Until next time, we share the same aural space. Go carefully out there. I hope you're doing okay. And if it makes any difference whatsoever, I love you. Rosie, I hope you don't mind this, but I wasn't happy with last week's alternative. Bye!